So the reading is going to start at Job chapter 40, verses 15, verse 15, and we'll um, go on until the end of chapter 41. So starting chapter 40, verse 15. Look at Behemoth, which I made along with you, and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins, what power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar, the sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze, its limbs like rots of iron. It ranks first among the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with his sword. The hills bring it their produce, and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plant it lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal it in their shadow, the poplars by the stream surround it. A raging river does not alarm it. It is secure, though the Jordan should surge against its mouth. Can anyone capture it by the eyes, or trap it and pierce its nose? Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook? or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Would it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its heads with fishing spears? If you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, its strength and its graceful form. Who can strip off its outer coat? Who can penetrate its double coat of armour? Who dares open the doors of its mouth, ringed about with its fearsome teeth? Its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth, spouts of fire shoot out, smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. Strength resides in its neck, dismay goes before it. The folds of its flesh are tightly joined, they are firm and immovable. Its chest is hard as rock, hard as a lower millstone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its threshing. 
The sword that reaches it has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. Iron it treats like straw and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make it flee. Slain stones are like chaff to it. A club seems to it but a piece of straw. It laughs at the rattling of the lance. Its undersides are jagged pochettes, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. It makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Grace, for reading that. That is a different again feel as you, as you listen to that poetry, as you begin to move into two creatures and two very long poems describing them. And so, well done for getting to this point in the day. It may feel like it's been, been a, long, a long day. I hope, I hope not. I hope you feel sort of refreshed enough to, to look at these bits because it's one of those books that saves the best to last. So before lunch, we saw, didn't we, that God has set limits on evil. Um, and we saw that God will be the one that brings justice. And then finally... God shows Job two animals, so we're not in the lists of them anymore. Um, no longer into the mountain goats. Now, I've got, some, I've got a picture, I think, of some mountain goats, which you won't be able to see, because I don't think we can get the pictures to be seen. No, it doesn't work, does it? You can't see anything on that screen. Um, so, you know, I had a picture I'd taken of some mountain goats, so I think I mentioned to you that that was one of my favourite animals. And it's because I think they're really cool because of the way they climb. You, you, have you ever been, I mean, if you, if you go somewhere like Crete, which I had the privilege of going to, and you go to one of those coasts with the sheer rocky cliffs that go down to the sea, and there, there are goats wandering up and down it like it's nothing. You can, you can watch also Waste Time on YouTube, seeing these incredible um, goats going, climbing up things and sheer sides. They're, they're remarkable creatures. Um, so I do, I, I do appreciate the, the goat. Um, and I quite like goat's cheese and things, but they do smell. Um, that's, that's the only downside for goat. Um, well, we've got two other animals. And it's interesting, some of you might even have, in your Bibles, you might even have a footnote that says hippo and crocodile. So the question is, have we, are we moving into, into, from, you know, talking about lions and, and eagles and goats, are we now moving into the hippopotamus and the crocodile is that what we're looking at here well we're going to look at each animal in turn we're going to start by looking at behemoth um, behemoth who sometimes is footnoted as hippo so let's have a look at him so we we met him didn't we he was the first one that grace read to us about um, from verse 15 look at behemoth so look at this animal um, I made him. And he is an animal that seems to have a quite a ferocious appetite. 
He feeds on grass, doesn't he, like an ox, which, as far as I can see, is, is a sort of a constant feeding. I mean, it's just always eating, constantly eating, 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 eating. So it has this, this appetite, and it's eating constant, constantly, and it has this incredible strength. So we have this picture, don't we, of this powerful animal, its tail swaying like a cedar. I, it's not any longer fitting quite comfortably with the hippo thing. I don't think of hippopotamus as having really strong tails. Um, and then you've got these bones that are tubes of bronze and limbs like rods of iron. It's a very strong picture. It ranks first amongst the works of God. That's an interesting statement. And then this, yet its maker can approach it with his sword. What is this creature? The hills bring it its produce. And the wild animals are playing nearby, and yet it's lying hidden among the reeds in the marsh. So maybe the wild animals can't see it, but it's there. And a raging river doesn't alarm it. It's secure. It's, it's absolutely secure. Can anyone capture it by the eyes or trap it and pierce its nose? I think the answer to that is no. What is this animal? Now this, you're going to have to spend some time thinking, is Karen right on this? And, and I want you to, to ask that question, am I right on this? Um, because a lot of people have, have come to... You, some people hold the position I've, I've come to conclude and other people say I'm not sure we can be so sure but I, what I'm going to say is I think this, this fits um, but you don't take my word for it if you want to go away and, and challenge that and think about it and absolutely do because um, other people haven't, don't necessarily think it is about this but um, some of the commentators I really respect do behemoth you see it's a word that comes up not anywhere else in the Bible. So we can't go somewhere else. They say, what is the behemoth? What is this? The place where behemoth um, comes up, is, it's, it's, really, it's, it's really difficult to, to, to find. What is behemoth? What would have Job understood behemoth to be? It's hard to find any references. So we're, we're now looking at the poetry. What, what is this? Are there any clues in the poetry to help us work out what this is about? I think the clue is that in Canaanite myths, there was the god of death that lurked in the marshlands. And so behemoth represents death, just like sea represents evil. And here we have this ferocious thing that is concealed, sort of there lurking all the time, eating all the time, destroying all the time, with an appetite that is ferocious. I think that fits this image. No one can get rid of this, but its maker can approach it with his sword. Well, certainly death is ferocious, isn't it? And we know that to be true. We know it comes to everyone. And we do know that it's lurking there. And at times it feels very, very close, doesn't it? 
And I think we have to say, and as we were, were hearing earlier, you know, for some people, it's, it, they've been on the front line of seeing a lot of death in the last year. Our world is often trying to pretend that this doesn't exist, that death is hidden away, and we do want to confine it to the shadows, but, but it's a reality. And it's a reality which we've been hearing about and still hear about. As the BBC News tells you again every night, the number of deaths within 28 days of a positive test for COVID. Yet it seems maybe we're beginning to admit that death is a reality and it is there in our culture. And can we stop it? We can try, can't we? Um, we've tried with, with lockdowns, masks and all our things to try and defeat COVID. We're, we're not doing very well though, are we really? I mean, we, we sort of done quite well. We've got the vaccinations brilliant, but can we stop death? We can't. Death is a reality. And this creature seems to be a very strong reality, a very powerful reality that is there. But it's good for us to remember that he's there. Um, the book of Ecclesiastes says, says this, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone and the living should take this to heart. There's a, there's a thing. <laughs> better to go to a funeral than a wedding. It's not really what we think, is it? But the writer to Ecclesiastes says we should be rea realistic about death. We should remind ourselves that death is our destiny that this life is temporary and short, sometimes brutally short. But we, we try to pretend that we live in a world without death, even with COVID. I think we've sometimes, maybe the opposite's happening to our society. Maybe we think we can defeat it and we put the right measures in place, just make the right next political decision and then we'll solve the problem of death. But death is constant, it's there. I think God in his mercy sometimes allows the scales to fall from our eyes so that we can see the reality. Maybe he in his mercy is helping our culture, our society, to people to see that reality. Death is a reality. But we need to listen, don't we? Yes, a funeral forces us to consider the brevity of life. Death is lurking there in the shadows. And the hills bring it their produce, it says, to about behemoth. But the wild animals play nearby. A behemoth is there. Ecclesiastes says, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare. Death can come to us, and it will come to us. Under the lotus plant, the behemoth lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. It's there. And we're powerless before him. Yet, its maker can dis destroy this creature and approach it with his sword. God has power over death. And 
although you say I'm understanding Behemoth from this poem and from the background of Canaanite myths, I think there's another clue in the book of Job that tells us that this is death. Right at the beginning, when we see that God allows Satan to actually attack Job, he says, very well then, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. God is the one in control of death, life and death. And I think here he's revealing that to Job, that he is the one that can approach death and deal with it. Job gets a glimpse of God's power over Behemoth. Its maker can approach it with his sword. No one else can. No one else can do anything about him. Can anyone capture it by the eyes or trap it and pierce its nose? No. But its maker can approach it by the sword. And we know that, don't we? Because we know that Jesus has destroyed our last enemy, the enemy that is death. He has defeated death. Those wonderful words we, we say to each other almost every Easter. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the one that destroys death through his resurrection. He has destroyed death. Science doesn't save us. It has been brilliant that science can produce a wonderful vaccine, but it, it doesn't destroy death. And the NHS, and we've seen, and many of you, I think, have been working in the NHS this year, the last year, have had an absolutely exhausting time and have done incredible work. And, and the country's acknowledged that, and people are you know, thrilled about the work of the NHS. But ultimately, the best doctors, and my husband's a doctor, so I'm allowed to say this, the best doctors fail, everybody dies. Uh, this summer, my son-in-law and daughter were, went to Cornwall, as many of you may have gone down to the West Country, and were on a beach. Um, and uh, then they spotted somebody in the water floating and my son-in-law ran out to him as, as a family member screamed. And there was a, a man who'd had a heart attack um, in the water, and he was lying in the water. My son-in-law's quite big, and he managed to pull this man out of the sea and bring him to the beach. And there's a lot of shouting, screaming going on. And my daughter was certain that this man had died, and the family were were distraught and the lifeguards came I mean they got them into to a recovery position they 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 got the defibrillator and then an air ambulance and removed him and took him straight to hospital yeah it was really quite traumatic and for 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 a while actually my daughter's convinced that that man had died but he didn't he 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 survived he um, the family put out an appeal on, on Twitter to say, yeah, who was it who hauled them out of the sea? <laughs> they were looking to say thank you. I mean, his life has been saved. Lots of people together. It was amazing. Um, yeah, the, you know, the seeing the thing, 
see, seeing the situation, responding to it, getting this guy onto the beach, the lifeguards doing exactly the right thing and doing exactly the right thing and resussing him and doing everything they needed to do until the air ambulance got there and the air ambulance team doing exactly the right thing and then getting him to hospital and doing exactly the right thing. Have they defeated death? Well, for that family, it's death delayed, isn't it? Very definitely, and something that they are thrilled about and something we all can rejoice in. But we don't defeat death, however clever we are. But God does, and Jesus has. He is the one, he is the one that has power over death, and we need to remember it. Because I think sometimes in our culture and our things, we depend on all the other stuff, but we forget the reality of the resurrection, the real resurrection that matters. During Calvin's ministry, Geneva was terrorized by a plague on five occasions. During the first outbreak in 1542, Calvin personally led visitations to plague-infested homes. That's breaking a lockdown, isn't it? Now, knowing that that was really, really dangerous, the city fathers asked Calvin not to do that because he was too important to them and they didn't want him to die. They said, your leadership is indispensable. Please don't go. But many other pastors did continue to visit people. And they told stories of people who were converted. And many of those other pastors did die. And actually, secretly, Calvin still went too, although he made it so that nobody else knew that that's what he was doing, but he did. Because he understood the true resurrection and what really mattered. Science doesn't save us and the NHS doesn't save us. Jesus is the one that brings life to the dead. Jesus is the one that brings resurrection. Yeah, we all face death. We are all those fish to be caught. Behemoth is there. Yet, Jesus has conquered death. And Jesus has approached death. And with his sword, he's able to free all of us who've been enslaved by our fear of death. And our society is anxious and afraid. And we want to celebrate the good things that have been going on to protect people's health, but we want to tell them the gospel, don't we? They need to know about Jesus, because that's where true, true resurrection is. We can't control death, but God can. God does. And he does bring life. Yet yeah, God is definitely saying something much more here, I think, than I made the hippo. So let's look at the second creature, Leviathan. Leviathan. Now, yeah, you may have a footnote that says crocodile for Leviathan. Well, it's not going to be a crocodile, is it? I mean, I think anyone reading this poem knows this is not a crocodile. <laughs> um, let's just think about this poem. This creature is a sea creature for a start. He's in the sea. And we've seen that sea symbolizes evil. He's a very powerful creature. As he starts, can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? 
don't know, imagine, I don't know, you see the film Jaws? You know, imagine you, that, that sort of image of trying to capture this shark. I actually watched a really rubbish film with my kids during, during lockdown called The Meg. I don't know if anyone dares confess to have, having seen that. It's another sort of mad, sort of big sea monster thing. You can't hook it, <laughs> that's for sure. So imagine that sort of immense power. Can you put a cord through its nose and, and get hold of this thing? No, you can't. Um, could you get hold of this, this creature? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as a slave for your life? Can you make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house? This is quite funny. I think it was supposed to laugh. Can you imagine this, this great you? Would you have this as a pet? Now, I can't control my Labrador on a lead. Can you control this on a lead? No, we, we can't. Can you now imagine Jaws and the Meg? Can you fill its hide with harpoons? Well, wouldn't make any difference if you could. It says, if you lay a hand on it, you will remember the struggle and never do it again. <laughs> now, any hope of subduing it is absolutely false. Goodness, this is a strong creature. Crocodile? Uh, no. Because as this poem goes on, this, this, is, this is other earthly, isn't it? I mean, have a look at verse 18. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. This is a dragon. I don't know if any of you saw the, the Hobbit, Benjamin Cumberbatch doing his, his voice for Smog the dragon. But just imagine a dragon. This is a dragon, it's not a crocodile. It's a powerful, immense, scary dragon. Strength resides in its neck, dismay goes before it. The folds of its flesh are tightly joined, they're firm and immovable. Its chest is as hard as rock, hard as lower millstone. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. The sword that reaches it has no effect. Iron, it treats like straw. You can't fight this beast. You cannot get rid of it. You can't kill it with an arrow. You can't throw a spear or a javelin at it. It will bounce off. A club is as effective as trying to, to, to hammer a nail in with a straw. A sword will not pierce its skin. This creature is indestructible. And then did you notice right at the end what it does? It's in the sea. Verse 31, it makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron. It stirs up the sea like pot ointment. The sea, which is already a place of evil, this creature is disturbing the sea and making it a fierce place. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think that the deep had white hair. That's, imagine the, the, the waves, that the most fiercest waves where you get all that storm surge and all that white froth. This creature is creating that in the sea. Nothing on earth is its equal. A creature without fear, it looks down on all that are haughty. It's king over all that are proud. There's a clue. It's the king 
of all who are proud. Are you naming him yet? This is Satan. And this book is interesting, isn't it? Because you start with Satan speaking to God right at the beginning. And then it's almost as though he disappears from the story. But of course, he's been there all the time. He is the one that has been using his evil hand against Job all the time. And here, God is saying, I am more powerful than Satan. I'm in control, and I will destroy Satan. You can't deal with him, but I can. Now, we can be um, clearer that this is, this is what Leviathan is from other parts of the Bible. Satan is pictured as a dragon in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 12, verse 9, he's called the great dragon. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. But also, um, we, we see a picture of him being described as Leviathan in Isaiah. In Isaiah 27, verse 1, it says this, In that day the Lord will punish with his sword, his fierce and great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent, he will slay the monster of the sea. And that ancient serpent, well, Revelation says in Revelation 20, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan and bound him for a thousand years. This is a picture of Satan, but God is more powerful than him. Satan will be destroyed. Death defeated, Satan destroyed. That is the story of the Bible. And here God is revealing that to Job in this incredible poetry. We know that Satan will be destroyed. It's the first great promise of the Bible. Remember in Genesis 3, what does he say to Eve? I will put enmity, well he says to, to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, Eve, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That, that Satan will be destroyed. He will come to try and destroy God's Messiah, but all he'll be able to do is strike his heel but someone born a woman is going to crush the serpent's head. That someone, Jesus, comes and destroys the power of Satan. Every generation in history, I think, tries hopelessly to rid the world of evil and death. And so we should, because they are awful. So fantastic that we seek to to get good health care for everybody, but we can't get rid of death. Fantastic that we try and put in good justice systems and we have law and order and God actually says that he gives us powers and rulers and authorities so that we can have that law and order and it's good and we need it and we try and do our best, but we can't get rid of evil. 
and we can't get rid of Satan. We, we can't. And many generations think, well, we've got the solution. We know what to do. We solve it. This political philosophy will solve it. Maybe in the 20th century, at the beginnings of it, was it communism's going to be the way to solve it? We'll get equality for all. But we've seen, well, we've seen where that led up, what that did in, in some places, the mass destruction in Stalin's Russia. Pol Pot. Hideous amounts of death. Mass destruction coming from what was supposed to be a good philosophy. Well, maybe we're doing the same with other things today. We'll look back on some of our social justice movements and see they actually didn't bring social justice, but they brought pain and hurt and division and upset again. We keep trying, and we should keep trying. Do not hear me say that. It's important. But we can't solve it. God solves it. That is why the gospel is so important, so important. I mean, however hard we try, I mean, even on things like safeguarding, and I'm safeguarding officer for various things, <laughs> we put all our measures in place. We can't completely protect children. It just keeps happening. So then we try something else. We just, we must try. But God is the one that will destroy Satan. God is the one who set limits and he will destroy Satan. I hope as you get glimpses of these poems today that you will begin to see just how powerful God is, how powerful Jesus is, how important I think sometimes some of us are actually afraid, aren't we? Deep down, we're afraid of things. We don't um, always vocalize the things we're frightened of. We, we have all sorts of different fears. Frightened of evil, frightened of evil happening to us, frightened of evil happening to people we love. How are we gonna cope if that terrible thing happens? We're frightened of it happening. We need to know God is good, and in his goodness, he's not impotent. We do not need to be frightened of evil, because the enemy, the devil, although he prowls around like a roaring lion, and he did in Job's life, he's not out of God's control. God is in control, and he is going to destroy Satan. And whatever is happening, he will use for good in your life. Even if we make no sense of it at all now, he is taking you to be with him forever in a new creation where there is no more sea, no more evil, where there is resurrection and life, no more tears, no more pain, no more crying. That is what God is doing in your life. And it's certain. So that phrase that comes over and over through scripture, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. Now we know why. Because God has set limits. Because God has destroyed death. Because God will destroy Satan. And God will bring us to a new creation. The last chapter of Job, which we won't look at in detail, 
that fairy tale ending is almost a picture of that new creation. I think, although the story is that good things went, happened in Job's life, there's little hints that means it's slightly unusual. And the slightly unusual hint, I think, is a beautiful one. He has these daughters. They're all named, these, these daughters. That's, that's kind of unusual. And they receive the same inheritance as their brothers. They have a full inheritance with their brothers. Is this picture of receiving that inheritance in a place of blessing. God was taking Job to that place of blessing. And we are going to that place of blessing. And God will defeat those enemies that we cannot deal with. God is good. God is good. Well, when Job saw all these things, he says this incredible statement, doesn't he, at the end? I know that you can do all things. I know that you can do all things. That's Job's response to this. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. There is nothing that can stop God's purposes. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job, who was so righteous, he did know that he had got it a bit wrong here. God is so much bigger and more amazing and more wonderful than he could have imagined. He has been revealed this incredible picture of God. It is wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, we aren't in control. We know we're not in control. But God is. What a magnificent hope we have. God is the one who leads us out of the storm. You may feel you're in the storm at the moment, but he will lead you out of it. He will. It may not be to the new creation. There's no promises about what what stormy paths we may be living through in the here and now. But there is a promise, absolute security in the new creation. We have someone who has gone that way before us. We have the man, Jesus Christ, who came and suffered, who faced unjust accusations. Someone who was tempted in every way like we are, who stood firm, Someone who faced death and died on our behalf and defeated death and Satan. What an incredible gospel we have. What an incredible rescuer we have. What an incredible mediator we have. God can deal with whatever it is we're facing. And he will judge evil. He has power over death. He will deal with Satan. If God is for us who can be against us as we finish let me read you these words from the end of romans chapter 8 as you have images in your head of that vision for those great poems from job 
And the reason why I'm linking it with Romans 8, just for your, your interest, is that when Paul goes into his doxology in, in, um, in, um, in Romans chapter 11, he's actually quoting Job. So he's got Job in his head, I'm sure, when he's writing bits of Romans. So let me finish today with this, this, this great section from Romans chapter, Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is he who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to the slaughter. Note, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for all that you've given us in Jesus. And as we meditate on that truth, we pray that you will forgive us that we so often forget that. That we get caught up in so many different things, trying to solve problems ourselves, trying, trying desperately to keep control of our lives, and forgetting that actually you are the one who's in control. And you are the one we need. Father, we pray that we may understand what your son has done for us more deeply. That we may rejoice in the hope of resurrection. That we may not fear evil or fear Satan, but know you have set boundaries and you have defeated Satan. That nothing is beyond your control. And Father, we pray that you would give us confidence and courage and perseverance in the face of whatever we, we deal with day to day. And Father, as we do that, as we walk with you, we pray that you will help us to share that message with others who do not have that hope, who are fearful and afraid and are looking in the wrong places for solutions. Father, give us the ability to speak to them that they may know your great love, that you are good. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.